Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Well, Christmas isn't just about where we isn't just where we think about what Christ did for us in the past and all the benefits we get out of it, as good as that is, and we will be focusing on some of those things in the weeks to come. But Christmas is also a time when we recognize that God didn't just save us from our sins, but He also, after He saved us from our sins, sent us on mission. Would you agree with that? And so every Christmas, one of the things that we have is the annual Christmas offering, uh, used to support four of the five missions around, uh, founded here at Southland. And, uh, they, uh, and they consist of the following. School of Ministers, which is in its uh, sixth year with 75 students, self-sustaining through uh, tuition. Then there's the Four Winds Ministry in its sixth year, helping those in need and those with life-controlling behaviors. So there's the housing complex and skills mentoring and personal ministry, Thanksgiving, food and clothing, drive distribution, warehouse, cars ministry, and on and on it goes. Then there's the Bird River Bible Camp, and it's, uh, we'll be going into our 10th year now. In this past summer, with ni- 901 campers, uh, we prayed for God to give us the camp, and it was miraculously given to us uh, by the BGC, or the Baptist General Conference, uh, with such a generous heart. Then there's uh, Tupandani Africana in its sixth year. Uh, including the Kingdom Farms over there in Uganda. Kingdom Farms, a whole farm that never was there before. Uh, you know, with modernized equipment, combines and tractors and, and all of that kind of stuff. All the planting of their corn and all their, all their different crops was done by hand and harvested by hand before. All done here from uh, a whole mechanized farm there uh, set up by Southland here. Uh, six or seven big uh, container loads, uh, trailer containers going in to bring uh, the equipment and that kind of stuff. There's Good Samaritan Center caring and schooling, uh, caring for and schooling uh, 2,200 children. And then there's church renewal. And uh, we're in a third year, or just completing our third year of training and tooling Canadian and international church leaders. This is our most recent uh, mission that we've founded. And uh, I would say by far our most ambitious uh, one, uh, where we train in two Canadian international church leaders in spiritual renewal. And the last two years, the total given during our Christmas offerings has been uh, roughly, you know, anywhere from 820000 to a little over $850,000 uh, per year. Uh, to operate these five missions. Of course, then there's, the, uh, then there's all the missions giving that we have besides based on what, what our giving was the previous year. That's on top of it. Last year, I believe, we gave uh, $1.3 million to uh, missions. And uh, at Vision Messages and annual Arise conferences, I often highlight the various internal ministries of Southland and the incredible work that they all do and all five missions. But today, I'm only going to highlight one, and that's church renewal. It's a, it's a very challenging mission we've taken on, and I believe the Holy Spirit has guided, in a, uh, guided us uh, t- towards this end. And so there have been many questions about it. I don't mean questioning the idea, but questions about the ministry. 
And I realized that never once had, we, had, I, had, had I given a formal, careful presentation of church renewal as a whole, and just little bits and pieces here and there. And uh, if you uh, spend more time with me, you hear more. And if you spend little time with me, you get very little, just a little morsel. And so uh, I really felt the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to focus on church renewal today. And so I'm going to answer questions such as, what is church renewal, and why are we as Southland doing it? So uh, we're going to begin by looking at why we're doing it. And before we do, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this Christmas season in which we recognize that you sent your Son to rescue us from our sinful condition. And you sent him to die. He was born to die so that we might be set free from the enslavement of sin that we were all captivated by. And we want to praise and thank you for that. Out of that has come so many innumerable blessings. We have a relationship with you. We have better relationships with those around us. Uh, we, We are set free from guilt and from the controlling desires of sin within us, which we couldn't stop before. We know joy and freedom and hope and love in in ways that we never knew experientially before. And so we want to praise and thank you for all these things. But We recognize that with it, you've also called us to bring this to as many people as possible. And so we want to say thank you for the gift, and as our gift to you this Christmas, we want to say we commit our lives to fulfilling the mission on which you've sent us, and particularly today, the mission of church renewal. And I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to each and every individual here, I pray that you would bear witness in their hearts that what I'm saying is not Ray's idea. That you would bear witness in their hearts that it isn't a board's idea or the staff's idea. But that indeed, this comes from the very heart of God. And that's why we're doing it. Indeed, Lord, I would ask that by your Spirit there'd be a special anointing and what I'm going to say, and that you would call each and every individual here from Southland to this vision. And I want to thank you for the things that will transpire because of it, because of the impact it will have, not for only today, not for only the offering next week, but it would yield fruit that would last for time and eternity. And I want to thank you in advance, because I know this is your idea. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, amen. Let's begin by looking at why we're doing church renewal. There's a need for church renewal, and there's several indicators, and I don't have time for all the indicators, but I'm going to look uh, very quickly at three. And one leads to two others, and so I'm going to begin with that one. The church In the West, the Western Church, and I don't mean Western Canada for those of you that are visitors, I'm talking about the West. The church is unholy for the most part. 
First Peter says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy. Why, church? Because I am holy. Ron Sider, in his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience, um, uh, writes and outlines for us the rise and the fall of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism was born in the mid-1900s to address the liberalism that was creeping into the churches by returning to historical orthodoxy, right belief. There's also orthopraxy, which is right living, and we'll get to that in a minute. In the U.S., they became a potent force influencing governments to work closely with them to solve horrendous social issues. They also lobbied politicians to strengthen the traditional definition of marriage as being a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. But over time, evangelicals, which we are part of, slowly grew complacent and lukewarm. Then pollsters started conducting polls of the general population, and in spite of evangelicalism's claims to miraculous transformation, the polls showed that they divorced their spouses just as often as their secular neighbors, they beat their wives as often, they were almost, and they were almost as materialistic as their pagan friends. The skeptics grinned in cynical amusement at this blatant hypocrisy, and the general population became puzzled and disgusted. Scandalous behavior is rapidly destroying North American Christianity, and by their daily activity, many Christians regularly commit treason. Take, for example, sex outside of marriage. Depending which surveys you read, and, they, and, and, uh, and, they, and they're completely dependent on how you define evangelicalism. So if you define it broadly, uh, then you're going to get a lower percentage. If you define it more narrowly, you get a higher percentage. Anyway, for anywhere between 44 and 79% of evangelical 18 to 29-year-olds engage in sex outside of marriage, depending on how you define it, according to Christianity Today 2013. Josh McDowell, the uh, apologist, uh, pointed out that the sexual promiscuity of evangelical youth is only a little less outrageous than their non-evangelical peers. Steve Gallagher says... Tragically, the percentage of Christian men involved in pornography is not much different uh, than that of the unsaved. Uh, take the issue of divorce. And by the way, that, that all, these, the, all these sins, there isn't any of us in here who, who don't find ourselves in some one of these categories. So don't feel like I'm trying to drive you out of the church. And try, uh, no, church is where you... you where, I mean, we can repent, Amen. Huh? I had to, and I was involved in the first one. Okay, so now that we got that settled, and the caveat out of the way, now we can get down to truth. Amen? Because we can't solve a problem until we confront the truth. Amen? Take the issue of divorce, and I know that some of you have been the victims of it, where somebody ran out on you and abandon the, the family and that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about uh, many other cases. G Jesus condemned divorce other than that. And yet 2001, uh, 2001 poll found that the divorce rate was the same for born-again Christians, 33%, uh, and, the pop, uh, as, and the population as a whole, 34%. 
And I used to think, well, yeah, but that's because, uh, uh, that's because many of them, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're coming into the church like that, and then the, that's being added. They found out only 90%. 90% of it happened after they were born again. You see the problem? And not only that, domestic abuse or violence in the home is approximately as high as the general popu- population. How about materialism in the poor? The West is the wealthiest um, culture in the history of mankind by far, bar none. We all live like kings in comparison. Yet in 2002, Barna found that only 6 to 9% of evangelicals tithed, down from 12% only two years earlier, and the average church members give approximately 2.5%. That's it. John L. And, uh, John and Sylvia Ronsvel, in their book, The State of Church Giving Through 2001, said that if American Christians just tithed, they would have another $143 billion available to empower the poor and spread the gospel. There's a line, well under $100,000 a year in income where giving should be well above 10%. Isn't that true? It has to be that way. George Barna said, Every day the church is becoming more like the world it allegedly seeks to change. We have very little time to reverse these trends. And in 2003, African mission scholar Professor Laman Sané told Christianity Today, and I quote, The cultural captivity of Christianity in the West is nearly complete, and with the religion tamed... It is open season on the West's Christian heritage. That's what's happened. We wonder why we're being attacked. And uh, I'll talk a little bit later about that. But a lot of it has to, stems from the state of the church itself. The church has lost her moorings and she's lost the respect of the culture around her. Not just her belief systems, but her hypocrisy is what has caused it. Not surprising then that born-again Christians spend seven times more hours per week watching television than they spend in Bible reading, prayer, and worship. Seven times. Let's look at this matter of prayer under the same, in, in the same context of morality because I believe it fits right in there. The average born-again believer today, according to surveys, is less than 10 minutes per day in prayer, which equals six hours per month and three days per year. That's just a trickle of prayer. You'll be hard-pressed to find churches that pray, and I know what I'm talking about because I work in church renewal in Canada now. You will be hard-pressed to find churches that actually pray together. And you will be hard-pressed to find pastors to li- who listen and hear the voice of the Spirit, though this was the belief and practice throughout historical Christendom. I had uh, one school of minister um, come to me a, f- a couple of months ago, a few months ago, and she said to me, and, and uh, she, had, she had left the, left the church, she had moved, and uh, she said she always thought that when I stated some of these things about the condition of the church 
in Canada that I was grossly overstating what I was saying. And she came to me just a couple months ago. She couldn't wait to see me after a prayer summit. She said, I have to talk to you, Pastor Ray. She said, I always thought you were grossly overstating it, and now that I have left and I've been gone for some time, she said, I have found that I believe you were understating the problem. That's what she said. I'm not overstating it. I know what I'm talking about. So when uh, Samson abandoned God's wills and way, will and ways, the spirit left him. The same thing happened with King Saul. Do you remember that? In vain, the church calls for the Holy Spirit to call, fall on them, and reminiscent of the prophets of Baal calling for fire from heaven, heaven responds with silence. Why? Because God doesn't dwell among people of, an, of unclean lips. In 2007, I was sitting in the boardroom of one of the major churches in Canada, in a major city, won't name it, and I was seated there with eight, uh, eight pastors in, in total, chaired by John Bergen at the time, and I was seated with eight, uh, there was eight of us, and uh, as we were discussing various things within the church, suddenly a question rose up within me, and I know it wasn't my thought. It just was completely out of context, and the question that formed in me was, what are you doing about sin in your church? And so I raised the question, I got their attention, I asked that question. It was an innocent question from me because I was hoping that perhaps they could shed some light on it and I could learn some things from it and bring it back to Southland. I'm a learner at heart. I've learned from all over the world. And so that's what I wanted to do. And uh, the room became very silent. And then a nervous uh, ripple of laughter began to happen. They weren't try trying to be disrespectful at all. They just didn't know what to do with the question. And then they changed the subject. So I took my hand, and I went like this to get their attention. And I said, I'm asking a serious question. And then I said, the church that I'm pastoring is in Bible Belt, Manitoba so-called. And I said, every sin that is named in the scriptures other than adult murder, as far as I know, is well represented by hundreds of people in my church. And I said, if that's the case in my church in Bible Belt, my guess is that you, the situation in your church is no better. So I'm going to ask you again. I said, we have a strategy that we're using, but I'm not certain that that's the only strategy we should be using. And so I want to ask you again. What are you doing about the condition of sin in your church? And again, I was met with silence. That's the problem. And the stats and the surveys are bearing witness to that fact. That's why we have such a thing as the set-free retreat, amen? And we go through these lists. Somebody said to me after the first retreat, came to me and said, you said this was a retreat. It's anything but a retreat. 
I said, amen, but if I had called it something else, you wouldn't have come. I could have called it a confessing all your sins and repent on your knees weekend. Nobody would have shown up. So I called it a retreat. No wonder there's no presence of the Spirit in most church services and no power in the personal lives of church members in their places of ministry in the community. They aren't transforming anything out there. All this has led to indicator number two for why we need church renewal. So that's the first reason we need renewal or revival. Would you agree with that? We need it desperately. Indicator number two, the church is losing adults who have given up on the church. Willow Creek's Reveal study several years ago found that 63% of their most committed members defined in terms of attendance, three out of four weeks, giving, participating in sales, serving, and devotional life were considering leaving. A full 63% of them were considering leaving. Uh, at a pastor's uh, set-free retreat in 2012 in Kelowna, B.C., it was only, uh, there was only 26 pastors and spouses and some and such, but it was the first, so we were very happy. And at the end of the retreat, there were testimonies, and there was a layperson there, a volunteer minister in the church, marketplace leader actually, who was part of the prayer team. And he decided to give a testimony, he went up and he grabbed the podium or the lectern where I had been teaching all, uh, for the entire retreat, and he looked, over the, uh, he looked over it at the 26 church pastors and spouses, and he pled with them to hear what I was saying, and this was his reason. He said, my wife and I have five close couple friends who all were raised in the, and attended for many years, decades even, attended evangelical churches who have all left the church and are not attending anywhere. Anecdotal evidence. It was stunning. Not only that, indicator number three says the church is losing the next generation in droves. 2012, President Bruce Clemenger of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada was sitting in my office and he told me about the hemorrhaging faith report that was coming out. And of course, as I've told you before, uh, evangelical churches in Canada are losing 60% of their youth. And what the youth said affected whether or not they leave or stay in the church because they were interviewed upon their exes, those that had left, they were interviewed and they were asked, why did you leave the church? And here were their three answers. Number one, I didn't experience God. That was their number one reason. Remember what I just said about the Holy Spirit leaves the church? Don't experience him. You don't hear him. He's not, re he's not relevant in your, in your own personal life. Number two, their parents, they couldn't see that their parents were engaged in a lively relationship with God, a living, real thing. And number three, their churches were dead. Those were the top three reasons why evangelical youth left. 
So two key reasons youth aren't experiencing God in the church is the Spirit has left many churches because of their sinful condition, and many churches no longer train their people how to pray, to hear God's voice, to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, such as prophecy, so they can experience Him. And little wonder people don't experience God, and that's why they leave. Because people today in this new generation are pragmatic. If it doesn't work, why do it? Amen? True? That's what, they, that's what they think. And it is exactly to address these huge deficiencies that God has called us to launch church renewal to the Canadian church and beyond. And that doesn't mean, and by the way, if you're a visitor here and you're thinking, oh, you arrogant Southlanders, you think you got it all together. If you would come and attend here for any length of time, and if you came to our set-free retreat and you saw us kneeling at the cross and dealing with our sins and repenting, and if you heard our prayers, you wouldn't think that. You wouldn't think that at all. You see, we don't believe that we have attained church renewal, or renewal of this church. We're on a journey to renewal, and we're further than we were 19 years ago when we started. This church was a perfect example of the kind of church that I'm describing in Canada. It had experienced three church splits in just a handful of years. That's the kind of church this was. And, and prayer? Are you serious? <laughs> What's that? It was very, very difficult to get prayer going here at Southland. So you, those of you that don't know us, please bear with me as I'm speaking here, okay? I'm talking to those that understand the context very well. We are humble before God, and we work with it. And every prayer summit you come, you would hear us have a portion in which we have to confess our sins. And so we're growing in this matter, and that's important for you to know that. Anyway, God's calling to church renewal, not only the need for church renewal, but God's calling to church renewal. I did not come up with this idea. This isn't some human invention, no. In 1979, at age 25, with no intent, I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm going to take you through a little bit of a chronology here. I've, we've never done this before. There's hundreds of pages from uh, either my journals and the historical documents from the church here, or, and you could go to Grace's, I don't know how many, and her, Grace Fast and all her teams and stuff that they've poured into us. Um, so I'm just going to give you a brief chronology here. At age 25, with no intent to leave my flying career, I recall telling Fran, someone needs to go back to Steinbeck, of course we were in Ontario at the time, and build on the Christian memory already there so that people could go out and impact Canada. My wife just brought that up to me this, this week. She said, do you remember that? I said, I sure do. It's actually in my notes. In fact, though living in Ontario, I met with a Steinbeck pastor and tried to set up special revival meetings for another pastor to conduct at age 25. I actually did that. Now, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my response. He said no, but this is what I wrote. Wisely, the pastor said no. It's called zeal without knowledge. <laughs> and... Um, but though I didn't know it then, God had already placed his vision of renewal in my heart way back then. March 18, 1980, uh, the very next year, God called me to vocational ministry at a huge conference in Chicago. And exactly four years later to the date, we planted Faithway Church in Woodstock. 
September 9th to 26th, 89, um, in January, I approached the Woodstock pastors, and, and I, was, I, was, uh, I was disconsolate about, about the church. I mean, I'd been leading people to Jesus Christ and, in this church because we only started with eight people, and that included the six in my family. And uh, they, they were five and under. We were renting in a YMCA, and I, I, so I, led, I was leading everybody to Christ that was coming into that church. And uh, what I noticed after a while, I, I really liked the Bible studies because at the Bible studies, they would all smoke, and they were so excited about Jesus, and they would say, what page is that in the Bible? <laughs> I'd come home sick. Every last one of them smoked, chain smokers. But they loved Jesus. And I remember one of them, a Dutchman, he, uh, he got saved after I, by the way, overcame an objection, which was I don't want to be get, get, become a Christian because the hip, uh, Christian hypocrites in my business. I had to overcome that objection to get them. So do you see what, why we're talking about this? So then he wanted to buy a three-piece suit because that's what Christians do, pinstripe blue. So we went to a Jewish play outlet in Toronto in a basement, cash only, and... <laughs> And we purchased a, a, a blue suit for him. And then he asked if he could be a greeter at the, in the YMCA, a door greeter. I said, yeah, absolutely. So he took his place at the door, three-piece pin, pinstripe suit, big guy, six foot four. <laughs> Welcome. It was some of the most fun I had in Christian ministry, I kid you not. I was sick. I lost some years from my life, but, but it was fun. But you know what happened? After a while, they didn't smoke anymore, but they didn't love Jesus like they used to. They were like the rest. And I said, oh, I wish they would smoke again. I would pray, Jesus, give them a desire to smoke again. Because they loved him. And so in January, I went to 1989, I went to these pastors and I said, why don't we, why don't we uh, ha have, have revival here? Uh, I said, my church needs revival. The church that I'm pastoring and that I started and I led people to Jesus, I, they, we need revival. And I said, do you need revival? And they said, well, I guess so. And uh, then we looked at each other and we said, but how do you do that? We've never been taught that. And so then I had an idea. Oh, there were these Satera twins. My mother-in-law had been deeply impacted and changed. She had an eating disorder uh, all her adult life. And she went to these meetings and she was set free from an eating disorder. And that was good for life. She never had it again. I said, there's some power over there. Why don't we get them in? And so we invited them in and they held uh, 16 nights of revival meetings in Woodstock. There was five churches we collaborated, went to Oxford Baptist uh, every night, and uh, we held these meetings, and even the worst reprobate in our church was revived. I mean, our church changed on the dime. It was amazing. On that Sunday, people got up, and they started testifying in the YMCA. They testified so long, I finally looked at my watch, and it was 12.15, and I had to shut it down because we were renting. And so um, they were crying when they were 
I mean, it was amazing. I could save the message for the next weekend. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> Except that six months later, I couldn't tell that anything had happened. And I was so discouraged. I went to prayer. I was walking the streets in Woodstock praying again, and I said, God, I don't get it. What am I missing? Uh, you know, I, I lead these people to Christ. I have them. They go down. I give them to the Sterret Twins. They go up. The Sterret Twins give them back 16 days later, and they go down again. In my hands, it doesn't work. What am I missing? And that's when the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And he said, you, you're going to have to learn what the renewal practices and principles of the scriptures are so that you can make it part of the very DNA of the church. So you're not importing uh, people. And so um, uh, that's, that's what happened there. And so Southland became a perfect place to test these uh, principles and practices. November 1996, we launched Operation Prayer, and it was the most difficult thing I've ever tried to introduce in a church, prayer. Can you believe that? Difficult to introduce prayer in a church. And you know what I'm finding now? All the pastors that I'm asking to do the same thing that are in church renewal, they're finding the exact same thing. It's very difficult. January 6, 1998, God spoke to me about prayer revival in Canada. I was reading and meditating on Psalm 109 when I came across verse 4, and it says, In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. I'll tell you, when I read that, something unbelievable happened in my heart, and I knew the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and he said, and I, uh, it was so strong that I noted the date, and I noted what I thought he was saying. He said, I want you to bring prayer to the Canadian church. That was back in 1998, and we, we had a grand total of 250 people in our church at the time. May 13th, 2004, Fran and I were in Toronto uh, together with a team uh, from Southland here, including the Newfolts and uh, Ryan's, Tim and Judy, and, and uh, Chris and the Don, and so on and so forth. And, and, uh, and, and this Asian uh, young uh, woman who had been set up, who we had never met before, met us in a hotel, that, and we didn't want to meet her at all. But... Um, we met with her, and uh, at one point she was prophesying over us, and she said, you will be traveling much and speaking in different countries. You will be training many leaders. That was the first time I'd heard such a thing, and I thought, well, that's kind of odd. We've never, you know, <laughs> went to the U.S., uh, but that was about as far as it was. September 21st, 2006, in listening prayer, several lead staff at the time, including Chris Dirksen, Chris Puach, my friend, Grace Fast, all received things saying that I was to connect internationally. And that was only two months before I met Alex Mattel of Uganda on a bus in Argentina, of all things. He from Uganda, I from Canada, and we meet in Argentina. And of course, you've heard that story many times. It's just an unbelievable story how God put us together. And then Len met uh, with the finance minister from Uganda, and we brought Alex into that meeting, and from there, one thing led after the next, and it turned out he happened to be the head of 17,000 pastors in Uganda. And uh, here we had this prophecy long before, or two months before. Uh, then on November the 16th, while we were in Argentina, I sent an email to Grace Fast of what had happened to me on the, on the bus with Alex, and that Len and I were going to meet with him, 
And she immediately sent back that she had received three pictures from the Lord. One was of faces of people from other nationalities, particularly one face stood out of a black indigenous person with a broad nose. The interesting thing is, of course, now he's become uh, one of us here. We've had him speak right here on stage several times. And the first time he, and we all fell in love with him, amen. And uh, the first time she met him, she rushed to my office and she said, that's the exact face that I saw in the picture. And so we see God's hand through the entire thing. Tom sent an email, Tom Dick that is, on that same day, and he said, I was reading Isaiah 42 verse 4 and felt very, uh, I, I felt like I was supposed to send this to you, and I was in Argentina, I had not written him. And this is what it said, even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. Then on July 24, 2008, uh, we, Fran and I were in Vancouver, as we often are, and Jeremiah 6, verse 16, I was meditating and reading the word, and, and this is what it said. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And then the Lord began to speak to me about how how uh, Isaac uh, had dug up the wells that had been filled by the enemy, uh, the, the wells of his father Abraham. And, God, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, and he said, the, the wells of truth that give living water to Christians have been stopped by the enemy. And so many Christians in Canada have left off their Christian heritage and their birthright, the things that Holy Spirit's made available to us, and we are now completely ignorant of them. It's hard to believe, but when I started in ministry in the, in the 80s, in the early 80s, nobody was writing books about listening prayer, even though that's, a, that's our historical heritage. The whole Bible is a speaking book. Everybody was hearing God, but suddenly we had cessationism in full bloom. And I remember one pastor saying to me, because we were, everything we were doing was being guided by what God was telling us. And you know what one pastor said to me? He said, you know what's the problem with you, Dirk? He loved me, actually. He really loved me. He was just misguided. He said, the only problem with you is you're too mystical. And today we have guys uh, like Dallas Willard, Ph.D., and former head of philosophy at the University of Southern California, writing books on hearing God. Is that amazing? And Jack Deere, a THD from Dallas Theological Seminary, writing books on hearing God. And Henry and Richard Blackaby and so on and so forth. The Spirit told me, uh, spoke to me, telling me to dig up the ancient wells of living water which the enemy had filled up with rationalism. And, uh, and then he told me to collate, to gather, to identify, gather and collate the renewal principles, the principles that were changing and, and beginning to transform our church, they became formalized in the fall of 2012 and became known as our eight renewal practices. December 4th, 2008, John Bergen, the, who was uh, the founder and CEO of Willow Creek Canada Leadership Center, called telling me they, they felt that they should step down from Willow Creek and asked if I'd consider launching a ministry to the Canadian church. Then on April 9th, 2011, at the board retreat, I asked the board members, all of them, to listen with me in prayer about launching church renewal. All got amazing pictures and words and thoughts and scripture in full harmony and unity saying, 
I believe this is exactly what God is saying to us. We listened in prayer. I don't know how long we listened that day, hour, hour and a half, and wrote things and shared. It was just, uh, it was really amazing. November 16th, 2011, we formally launched Church Renewal with no plan and no pastors. I just got up and announced it boldly. We have just launched Church Renewal. What are you going to do? I have no idea. With who are you going to do it? I don't know. July 10th, 2012, God gave me a, a prophetic promise as I was reading Isaiah. It says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And this now, this is now the theme verse for Southland and church renewal. On August the 15th, 2012, we held our first church renewal roundtable in Winnipeg. Now, some of you are asking, what is a roundtable? Roundtable is very easy. It's uh, usually the Bergens go into, uh, into cities. They fly into cities, and they do the groundwork. They meet with pastors. They meet with denominational leaders. They tell them that I'll be coming on and try to set up a date when I, I'm going to come to one of their churches. And then I present church renewal to them just like you like I'm doing to you, with indicators why we need it and how we're going to do it and what's the solution and what can we do. And then we invite them to a church renewal weekend. That's how we get them to a church renewal weekend. Now you know what a roundtable is. Amen? And I speak for about an hour to them, and we feed them a free lunch. November the 28th, 2012, we got our first two church renewal pastors in online mentoring. You should see our room sometime if you ask. We'll show it to you. Uh, where I do it from, and uh, we have an IT person with us the whole time. April 11th, 2013, uh, Fran and I were on board a TAM flight that had just departed from Asuncion, uh, Paraguay, bound for Sao Paulo, Brazil, and we had just done some ministry in, uh, in Paraguay there where Jerry is, and Jerry's one of our church renewal pastors, Jerry Reimer, Jerry and Delia. And as we were leaving, I just thought, just this thought, I said, Lord, is there anything you want to say to me ab uh, about this trip? And we had met with many pastors, and, and suddenly this ball of emotion just came, just erupted in me, and I, I could hardly contain myself. And the Spirit, I said, Lord, what, what is this all about? I was happy. <laughs> Everything's good. And he said, I've given you a Father's heart for the nations. And then a little while later, from Sao Paulo uh, to Toronto, Fran was looking at the photo of our family. You know that photo with, uh, with all those uh, grandkids? I think it's... 65 of them now, uh, or something like that. No, uh, 17. And uh, we're surrounded by that. And, and, and then the picture morphed, uh, as, as a biblical vision can sometimes. And she saw uh, nations surrounding her and I as a, as a family of nations, speaking to us specifically about that. But this calling is not just for Ray Dirksen. This is a Southland Church calling. This is a Southland Church vision. Grace Fastener prayer ministers have received so much on this. April 26th to 29th, we held our first church renewal weekend. And then in June 2013, we were up to 10 pastors in church renewal. Many have sent emails to Grace telling of how God spoke to them about church renewal at the prayer summits and at our church renewal weekends and sometimes even at our services. And on March 16th, 2014, this year, uh, God, uh, God uh, another clear call. As an example, uh, my one daughter, Kim, sent me an email 
And out of Isaiah 58 that she was reading, it said, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. It's the church, amen? Is it church? June 14th to 20th, 2014. Half a year ago, in two days of meetings in Uganda, uh, Len and Joe and myself at a board uh, table with Alex Metalla, and he welcomed church renewal into Uganda with a timeline as to how to bring it there because uh, they had some issues about church renewal, and that was one of our prayer requests. Now, uh, November the 14th to 16th, uh, the Cu uh, Cuba's uh, Assemblies of God with uh, 1,200 churches welcomed uh, church renewal through the first uh, set free retreat with that miracle of getting the speaking visa only seven minutes before I was scheduled to speak. Then November the 22nd to 23rd, 2014, Ron Pierce uh, of Empower Ministries sent two emails from Burma and Vietnam saying that both countries are eager to receive church renewal now. November 26, 2014, notice how many of them, notice the speed at which it's picking up? Notice all the 2014s? We launched two more. We doubled the number of online mentoring groups, and one is for four denominational leaders. We now have 31 church leaders, four denominational leaders, in church renewal, and that's a huge answer to prayer. We had 13 a year ago. We prayed for that, and that's exactly what it is. Grace Fast mentors. On top of that, six prayer leaders from the various churches in Canada. Donovan now mentors five youth pastors. December 2nd to the 3rd, uh, this last week, we held our first set free workshop with nine pastors here, and God has called us to this. We've looked at now at two reasons we're doing church renewal, the need and God's calling, and now we're going to look at what church renewal is and then how we can all be a part of it. Church renewal consists of, first of all, the eight renewal practices plus tools and strategies. So there they are. You see that. Learn about God and know God. Submit to Jesus as only Savior and functional Lord. Pray to God and hear from God. Now, let me give you an example. For each one of these, these principles or practices, we've developed tools and strategies behind it. So take that prayer one, for example. And uh, uh, so pray to God. What is one of the strategies we use here to, to grow prayer here at Southland? Do you know what it is? Prayer summit. Exactly. How about, uh, how about hear from God? What's one of the tools we, we've developed just for that? Hearing God seminar, exactly right. And so behind each of these practices, there's these developments of strategies and tools. Grow our character and spiritual gifts. Confess our sins. Receive inner healing. That's like at the Set Free Retreat. And then the Set Free Workshop, which we used this week, in which we give them an operations manual and other manuals and stuff. And we give these materials to these pastors, and we train them in the use of these things, and they can use them and take them. And you know what we charge them for that? Nothing. Nothing. We just love on other churches and other pastors and church leaders and denominational leaders. Make disciples and expand mission through the church. Very important. Prepare for eternity and end times. Minister to our families and to others. And then there's the church leaders training program. So what does church renewal consist of? Eight renewal practices with, together with all the tools and strategies. That's why, remember, we gave four big binders to Pablo Salas uh, Sr. before he and his son went back to Cuba. And that's what we're giving in all those, uh, we're training them in all those kinds of things. 
So, church leaders training program, level one. First come to a church renewal weekend. That's after we get them in a round, at a round table somewhere in Canada. Level two, spiritual formations, which is four months of online mentoring. Then the set free workshop. Held my first one just a couple of days ago. Then other workshops every six months. We have three other workshops already developed. And every six months they do that. And the reason is they need six months to implement. And then I mentor them. Because now you've got to actually implement it in a church, and that's a huge challenge. And then you have staff and personal mentoring, which is ongoing, uh, for those that want to go even further. And then finally is the church renewal trainer mentoring. And what my goal is, and I don't have any yet, it'll take me a year or two before my first one is ready, is take one of these pastors and where he's completely ready to be able to train. And uh, some are going to begin tra training level two, uh, this spring. They'll be ready to start training in that, and eventually um, the idea is to have trainers that'll be ready to uh, be able to use all the workshops, do all this stuff, because they've implemented it in their church. They know the base. They know, they un understand the principles and the practices are doing it, and they can trans uh, uh, transmit that to others. And that's how we want to spread it out. Amen? Does that make sense? Is church renewal having an impact? Well, they wouldn't be signing up if they didn't, but I want you to, uh, I'm just going to take a few pieces, and I asked Len to help me because he had written down a few things for me, and I appreciate it because he, he until he, uh, I asked them to watch uh, a, a round table. And there were several testimonies from different pastors that got up and testified in Toronto two weeks ago. And uh, one of them, an influential Ontario pastor, the first, he got up at the round table, and I don't know how many people were there, 30, 40 people, something like that, and he got up at one of the tables, and the, his first words were, and I quote, I can't believe you can get 1,000 people out for two freaking hours to pray. <laughs> we, we just died laughing. The whole place erupted with, with laughter. He then described his experience. He said that uh, they had just been notified that he and his, uh, that his wife had terminal cancer, so he's not in a good emotional state when he came to the retreat. And he said that, uh, that uh, I, Ray, had asked all the pastors at the church, we, uh, weekend, church Renewal Weekend Prayer Summit to move apart so that people could get around. So this place was packed with people praying. We had these pastors, and they were all grouped in a section over there, and I asked them to just spread out wherever. I didn't care. And 40 young people came around him, and he said the first thing he noticed was that they weren't saying anything. He thought they were supposed to pray, and they were all quiet. And he thought, this is weird. And he actually said that. This is weird. And then all at once, they just all started to pray. And then he realized what they had been doing. They had been listening to hear what God was saying to them before they prayed that. And, and then, after they were finished praying, they laid their hands on him and prayed for him. Then they began to share with him uh, words and thoughts and pictures and scriptures they got. They, none of them knew who he was. They knew he was a pastor, obviously, because he was here at the church renewal weekend. But they didn't know the circumstances of his life, and he couldn't believe how accurate the things they had received from God about his situation. In fact, it impacted him so much that he asked them to meet with him after the prayer summit so he could write some of it down. And now he told all these pastors at the round table in Toronto, he said, um, he said, I read those things that I got from those roughly 40 young people uh, 
regularly, and I ministered to, to this, this point. As he was leaving, he was, uh, he was putting stuff in his, uh, in his trunk. It, the weekend was over on Monday. And he, had his, he was picking something up, and there, all of a sudden he said he saw two boots. He looked up, and it was Brad Kaler, Pam, uh, as of uh, Pam and Brad. And Brad said, uh, uh, our, our uh, cell is going to pray for you. If you send us prayer requests from your church, our cell is committed to praying for you. He told this all at the round table, and I didn't know anything of it. I couldn't believe it. He said, I send prayer requests. They, they tell me they're praying. And they ask for more. Uh, that's the impact. Two, two other pastors, Sean Van Dopp and uh, Will, uh, from churches of over uh, 1,000 in B.C., voluntarily flew from B.C. to Toronto, and a pastor from Hamilton uh, for two days at their own expense and time just to give a 10-minute testimony at two round tables. It's incredible. And uh, so now, last thing, our part in church renewal. We've looked at the reasons for it, and uh, we've looked at what it is. Now I want to talk just briefly about our part in it. I was praying about this, and, and I remembered a picture that Lord had given me some time ago. It was of a, of a wheat field, and I saw this big, shiny combine, huge thing, imposing kind of thing. I won't tell you what color. Uh, whether it was green or yellow or blue or red. But it does have a color. Some of you would be very sad. <laughs> but this big imposing combine in this huge wheat field. And the Spirit said that combine represents Southland. And, this, and, the, and the combine hadn't been working very well, but it, as it was repaired and fixed and restored and renewed, the combine started harvesting. And then the picture panned out, and I saw the vastness of the field. It was so vast that even though this was a massive combine, and I thought it was doing a great work, when I saw the enormity of the challenge, I just said, oh my. That combine, which looked so big close up, looks like nothing from up here. Then I saw a row of different colored, and this will make some of you happy again, different colored combines all lined up at the edge of a field. Beautiful. But none of them were harvesting. They weren't running. Some had belts that were broken. Others had chains that weren't working. There was a variety of problems with these different ones. And then the Holy Spirit said, the harvest is great, but the combines are few. The churches are few. And he said, Ray, I'm calling Southland because I've now taught you how to put a new belt on. I've taught you how to fix the thing, and slowly your combine's starting to harvest more, and as more people are joining at your church, and the church is growing, the header is getting wider and wider. Who, who of us knows that we have all the power in the combine we'll ever need? because it's run by the Holy Spirit. But the more people that join on, the bigger the header gets. The, more, more, the bigger the swaths that we can harvest. And then he said, 
Ray, because your combine's going now, I want a few of you to head over here and help repair and just show them how to repair their combine so they can get their combines going too. That, my friend, is what church renewal is. That's what it is. You say, so what's our part in it? You're part of the combine that's here. We're all supposed to be part of the harvest. One of the things we have to do is we have to live holy lives. Amen? We have got to quit being part of the problem. Why people are reject why society is rejecting Christianity. The problem isn't with Jesus, the problem is with us. The second thing is we need to pray. You say, I don't need to go to prayer summits. I, I don't do those unholy things. Do you go to prayer summit? Think about a church like ours. We pack this thing and people come from across Canada to see the prayer meeting. They can't believe it. A church our size, however, we should have a real big problem. And you know what that problem should be? We can't get everybody into one prayer summit. We should have to run two per month so that everybody would be able to be. There's, it should be full two times over for the size of congregation we have. And if we did that, they wouldn't just come from across Canada. They'd come from the U.S. and they'd come from the rest of the Western world to see that marvel. Not only that, the more we pray and the more we collect to pray, the more God hears and answers some of the big prayers we've been getting. But we need far bigger and more prayers to be answered. Did you know that? We need a lot of prayers answered. Third, we need to serve and evangelize. We have 1,500 volunteers, but the more people that join with us and help us, the bigger that header gets and the bigger the swath that we can take in. And then we need to give generously, and that speaks throughout the year in our giving. But it also speaks to our Christmas offering next week. Here's how I want to conclude. Ask God if the church re, uh, renewal vision is really of him. That's why we trained you to hear God, so that you could do that. I'm not worried. Go ahead, ask him. Ask him if it's Ray's vision. Many have. And ask him. He'll tell you. The number two, align with Jesus through his church. Time is so short. There was the Bill 18 I don't have time to go into it. I'm out of time. BC's Law Society recently voted to ban hiring any law graduates from Trinity Western. The Bank of Montreal wrote to the Law Society of Upper Canada to deny accreditation of any legal education programs recognized for admission to the Ontario Bar, which includes Trinity. March 27th, Trinity Western University President Bob Kuhn warned this could mark the beginning of a new era of persecution against the church in Canada. He and his Vice President of Development have said recently, we are now in the end times. That's what he said. Ron Pierce from Empower Ministries told us recently, China is pretty well closed again, and he believes that within three to four years we won't be able to minister in Vietnam. Alex Metella, Apostle Alex Metella from Uganda, keeps urging us, and I mean he urges us, 
you know, where there's 20, uh, 17 to 20,000 pastors, he urges us, hurry up, because he fears the door is going to close. And he's not talking about m just money for his farm and stuff. He's talking about church renewal. There isn't time, and I want to say this very carefully and measured, I took time to think about this. There isn't time to run around carrying out all our own pet agendas and visions. Did you get that? We must align and pull together in one direction under Christ. And lastly, ask Jesus what he wants you to give to the Christmas offering next week. And that's my presentation for church renewal. And I'd like us to bow for a word of prayer, of commitment here this morning. Father, we've looked at the need for church renewal here at Southland, in this region and throughout Canada, and indeed in many parts of the world. We've looked at your calling to church renewal. We've seen what it is and how you're formulating it, how you're forming it. And we've looked very briefly at our part in it. Because we have to take care of this region. This is our part of the wheat field, of the harvest that is so great that Jesus talked about. I'm asking you to instill in us and speak to each and every one of us about this vision. This week, today, and this week. I'm asking you to cause the greatest alignment of personal agendas that we've ever seen here at Southland, though we've seen much alignment. And I'm asking you lastly, Lord, for a record Christmas offering so that we can take this to the expanding reaches of church renewal that you're calling us to. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody agreed by saying... Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.